you to envision for a second walking around your neighborhood. If you were to walk around your neighborhood, uh, we like to take walks in our neighborhood. We frequently see other people out walking, out, you know, uh, enjoying the evening, maybe doing some yard work, doing some work. If you were uh, to walk around your neighborhood and ask people this simple question, I want you to think about what answers you might receive. Maybe you've done this. If you were to ask the question of people in your neighborhood, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I'm just wondering what you think. Who is, who is Jesus? If you were to ask that question walking around the area where you live, what answers do you think you might hear in response? Well, there have been some studies on this, and uh, one study that was completed six years ago, which feels like a long time ago already, but six years ago they did a survey, and they found that actually if you were to ask 10 people this question, who is Jesus, approximately one in 10 people who you speak with would tell you that Jesus is made up, fictional, he's a character in a, a book of fables, and he's certainly not the Son of God. I want, you to tell you, I want to tell you as a follower of Christ, as a follower of Christ, it hurts me to say that out loud because I know the difference that Jesus has made in my life. If you were to have these conversations, who is Jesus, about half the people you speak with, if you believe the studies, about half the people you speak with would say Jesus is the Son of God, about half the people. Now, there are some studies that show that that number is, is declining. Uh, we don't believe that that number is declining. The kingdom of God has continued to expand. What we do see declining is uh, cultural or traditional Christianity, where it's just part of... Uh, um, like what a family does, we see that nominal Christianity is declining, but true followers of Christ, those numbers are continuing to rise. And then there would be the remaining people who might say something like, Jesus was a good teacher, Jesus was, uh, he had made contributions to, to society in a similar way that Muhammad or Buddha would make contributions to religion or society. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Right up front, I want to tell you that we are a church that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, and he was resurrected. We believe that hope for eternity, salvation is found through repenting, turning from our sins against God, and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. Who is Jesus? You could be here today, and you're not quite ready to say something like that about who Jesus is, but you're here. You're curious, and you're at least willing to investigate, and we're thankful that you're part of this journey. You belong here. It's not just for some. It's for all. Before you belong, before you believe, you're welcome to belong, and uh, that would be the story of many of, our, of us. Many of us would have that story, that we, were, we had a curiosity before we placed our faith in Christ. So this is where we rejoin and actually come to an end, put an exclamation point on our summer message series, questions Jesus asked. Questions Jesus asked. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus asked questions to the crowds. He asked questions to those who were critical. He asked questions to the skeptical. Jesus asked questions to people who were curious. And Jesus asked questions to his closest followers. What we've said is that Jesus, he never asked a question because he had an information shortage. That was never the reason that Jesus asked a question. Jesus asked a question to reveal motives. Jesus uh, asked questions to cause reflection. And Jesus asked questions to expose the condition of the heart. 
Many of us would say as we look back at the most meaningful conversations in our life, it is likely that the most powerful life-changing moments came as the result of a question someone asked us and not necessarily a statement that someone spoke into our life. You see, Jesus, he knew the power of a question. Jesus knew the power of a question. The questions Jesus asked then, he's asking us now. And today we land on what is likely the most important question Jesus ever asked. Now for the skeptical one who may be watching today, maybe part the curious, again, we're thankful you're here. It's possible that living today, we think that we're smarter, we're so much more advanced, insightful in thinking that living today, we just get things that previous generations didn't get. And so someone might say, if previous generations knew everything that we knew today, then they would have the same skepticism that we would have. Well, what we're going to see today is that the reason that some people give that causes them to miss out on the greatness of God today, the reasons are not all that much different than reasons people gave 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to invite you to open up or power up your Bible to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. And where we pick up the Bible's record of historical events today, those who were closest to Jesus, they had reasons to be encouraged. Matthew tells us that the crowds were bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute to Jesus' feet, and the people were healed. God was glorified. There were miracles. There was teachings that was attractional. So there were reasons for those who were closest to Jesus to be encouraged. Now, there were also some reasons to be discouraged. Those who had been following Jesus for many months had reasons to be weary or disheartened because the disciples had been challenged and criticized by the religious elite of the day who were respected people in their communities. Jesus had been rejected in his own hometown. Jesus told his followers that persecution was coming. Difficult days were ahead. The disciples, those closest to Jesus, had also watched as thousands of people came near Jesus, and for a time they wanted to be near him. But when things got tough, the disciples watched many, hundreds, even thousands, turn their back and walk away. So there were reasons to be discouraged. So where we pick up the story today, ministry to the multitudes was waning. And Jesus was turning his attention to focus on his closest followers, the people who would be responsible for carrying on the work after his death and resurrection. Jesus and his closest followers, they've actually, where we, again, pick up the story today, they have moved away, they've walked away from the Jewish communities where there had been mounting tension and attention, and they moved to a place of relative anonymity. When I re reach that word, I'm nervous because it's kind of a hard word to say, anonymity. Well, that's what they had when they reached this place called Caesarea Philippi. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus, he leads his disciples into this area, Caesarea Philippi. This was an area of mostly Gentiles, which simply means that most of the people who lived there were not of Jewish tradition, Jewish traditional backgrounds. Jesus asked the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he asked this question as the, the uh, disciples are away from the Jewish crowds and controversy. 
the Son of Man. This is a title that Jesus often used to refer to himself. And this is the setup question, not the most important question that we're going to get to in just a moment. Before we get to that, it's uh, very, Jesus always was intentional about where he chose to have his conversations. And the conversation that Jesus has about his identity, he picks Caesarea Philippi. This was a city that had spiritual traditions. It was not a Jewish city, but it was a city where there had been worship and there had been little G gods. Caesarea Philippi was a place where the pagan god Baal was worshiped, B-A-A-L. This is a city where there was a temple to a Greek nature god called Pan, P-A-N. In fact, if you were to go to the ruins of Caesarea Philippi today, you would find ruins of of the temple where this Greek uh, god was worshiped. And also the city in itself, Caesarea Philippi, it's named after a Roman empire, Caesar. And the Romans had this godlike reverence for their emperors. So Baal, Pan, Caesar, with the background of these religious and worship traditions in place, this is the place, this is the place where Jesus asked the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's as if Jesus is saying, As you're with those who want to be near me, how are you hearing them describe me? Verse 14. And the disciples said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now what's interesting is that Jesus, as he walked and talked, he had been ridiculed, he had been criticized for hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus had been accused of being a drunk. Jesus had been accused of being a glutton. Jesus had been dismissed because of his humble background, the son of a carpenter who becomes a religious teacher. But none of that is brought up right now. When people, when Jesus asks, who are they saying that I am? No one says anything about this. The answers the disciples give seem to reflect what people who were curious enough to get close to Jesus might have said when they were talking about who is Jesus. Who does this remind you of? Their answers, the disciples share four responses that they're hearing from the crowd. John the Baptist, by this point in history, John the Baptist had been beheaded. Elijah and Jeremiah, these were prophets who lived hundreds of years earlier. One of the prophets, you could say another in a legacy of well-known great Jewish prophets. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. A way to understand this is to say, some are saying that Jesus, you're like John the Baptist. You remind us of Elijah. The way, Jesus, that you are in public, it makes us think of Jeremiah. Because we know Jeremiah and the way that we see you, Jesus, it reminds us of Jeremiah. Here's what we see. Human opinion, at best, provides a partial understanding of Jesus. John the Baptist, what was he known for? John the Baptist was known for boldly calling for repentance. Elijah, what was he famous for? He was famous for, Elijah was famous for the way that he worked miracles. Jeremiah, why would that come to mind? Jeremiah, he's one that spoke the words of God even when the words of God lost him every popularity contest and put him at odds with the people. Okay, so this is the interactive part of the message. All right, are you ready? Are you ready? 
Did Jesus boldly call for repentance? Yes, okay, four of you, that's good. Let's see if we can get some more on board. Did Jesus work miracles? Yes, okay, see, what? not trick questions, not trick questions. Did Jesus speak the words of God? Yes, he was God. Jesus did all these things, but the combination of all the answers, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, all those combined still fall short of describing who Jesus is. Outsiders gave answers that undervalue who Jesus is. The enemy attempts to limit human understanding of Jesus. Now, the last answer that the disciples give, Jesus is another one of the prophets. A prophet may be the most comfortable place for someone to hang out who respects Jesus but doesn't want to get close enough where it compels a life change. Because a prophet, what is a prophet known for? A prophet is known for wisdom, for pure living, for insightful words, for teaching, for good character. A prophet would be somebody who's known for being passionate about what is good. And some might say then, as some would say now, if that's where, as far as it goes with Jesus, I can get on board with that Jesus. One of the prophets if someone, they might not describe, they might not use the word prophet today, but if someone were to give reasons like, you know, I, I'm with Jesus as far as wisdom, pure living, insightful words, good character, passionate about doing what's good, I'm with Jesus there. If someone says that, that's where they, how they perceive or understand Jesus today, we can lovingly say in response, do you know that essentially that's the reason that's what some people were saying 2,000 years ago. And they missed out. And I don't want you to miss out. Verse 15, here comes the question Jesus asked. Jesus said to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This question is for the benefit of the disciples. This question is also revealing from where Jesus is observing the disciples because their answer will reveal if they're getting it. No one has been closer to, the, to Jesus than the people who he asked this question of. So we're gonna find out if, those, if these people aren't getting it, we're in trouble. We need these people to get it. Jesus is asking, is there a difference between what the crowds are seeing and what you're seeing? Is there a difference between what they think and what you have experienced? This is a question that Jesus asked his closest followers then, and he's asking all of us today. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you know that either intentionally or by default, every person on the planet answers this question? either intentionally or by default, every person asks this question, answers this question, who do you say Jesus is? Our answer determines the way we live, how we respond under pressure, and our answer determines our destiny. Do you know that we cannot inherit our answer to this question from someone who's gone before us? We can't inherit 
our grandma's answer. We can't inherit our Christian neighbor's answer. And do you know what? We can't pass it along to someone who comes after us. We know that there are moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and friends. We wish, we wish that we could pass our answer on to them as we might will a piece of property or as we might pass on a family heirloom. We wish we could just pass our faith on to them. We say that Jesus is the Son of God. We, we wish we could just pass that answer off to those we love and we care about. But the reality is every person answers this question for themselves. A version of this question may be helpful if you're having a spiritual conversation with someone. You're going back and forth about Christianity, church, this, that, the other thing. You could just immediately understand where the person is by asking the question, just so I know where we both stand, who do you say that Jesus is? Before we talk about church, before we talk about religion and politics and how they interact and all these things, let's just get to the centerpiece of this whole conversation. Who do you say that Jesus is? We'll get to the rest later, but let's talk about that first. Who do you say that Jesus is? Let's resolve that question first. Now, once again, for these first followers of Christ, Peter is the spokesperson. Peter, we can count on him because he will speak when no one else wants to. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, many of us, we know this interaction well. We've heard the story for decades, but I want to share some things that are happening in Peter's answer and then what Jesus says back to Peter that maybe we haven't caught before. See, Peter says, you are the Christ. Your translation may say the Messiah. Same word. You are the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is a title, not Jesus' last name. This is a word that traces back to Old Testament times, and there was a time when this word Messiah, anointed one, would be broadly used to describe anyone who was a prophet or king. In Jewish tradition, a thousand years earlier, David was an anointed king. And people expected the arrival of another anointed king. There was an expectation that this next anointed king would triumph over Israel's enemies. After the resurrection, the term Messiah would no longer have this broad meaning. It would take on a greater singular meaning. Jesus had authority and purpose greater than any human prophet or king. Reacting is good. This is a live church. We're interactive. When we see something, that we hear something that's good, you can say yes, you can say amen. Some of you even personally encourage me when you say things like, that's good, or you clap, that's all good. Welcome in this house. Welcome. Amen. Jesus is more than the Messiah of Jewish expectation. Jesus did not come only to triumph over Israel's temporary political enemies. Jesus came to triumph over the enemy. 
In the city, remember the backdrop of the city that I explained to you? In the city where there was so much worship of false gods, dead gods, emperors of years gone by, this is the background where Jesus has this important conversation about his identity. And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. All these dead gods, and Peter says, I see Jesus, you are the son of the living God. Peter's answer to Jesus' question captures that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the son of the living true God. Jesus is the son of the God who is alive, unlike Pan, Baal, or a former Roman emperor. We can evaluate Jesus based on who people think he is or who God says he is. When Jesus was baptized, it would have been sweet to be here for this moment. When Jesus was baptized, man, how cool it would be to be there. There was a voice from heaven that said, this is what? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We are responsible, we are accountable for responding to who God says Jesus is, not who others think he is. Jesus is a deliverer. He's the deliverer. And we, we get the concept of delivery. When I was a kid, you could have any food delivered to your house as long as it was pizza. <laughs> My, how things have changed. Grubhub, Uber Eats, what's, what's another one? DoorDash, what did you say? Postmates, you can have food from anywhere delivered to your house. Amazing. We understand the concept of delivery. Delivery means to take something from one location and to bring it to a second location. Jesus came to deliver mankind from sin, to take them from a place of being accountable for sin to a place where the sins are forgiven. Jesus came for, for so much more than to deliver the world from temporary problems. Jesus came to deliver people from sin. Jesus came to teach, but the golden rule was not his greatest contribution. The greatest teaching Jesus ever taught is how to be forgiven of your sins and restored in relationship to your heavenly Father. Many of you know John three sixteen through 18 by heart, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That's Jesus. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Jesus taught that. Jesus taught that. So if Jesus is a great teacher, he taught that. You are free to choose, but unfortunately, we're not free from the consequences of our choice. And Jesus, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a great teacher. Jesus taught that there is a consequence for choosing not to believe in him. Jesus did not come just to teach. He came to redeem what the world was saying then is just a different version of what many are saying or have convinced themselves of today. Some say myth, 
teacher, prophet, but not Peter. Not Peter. Peter says this is the son of the living God. Verse 17, this is how Jesus answers. Jesus answered Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There's so much going on in the way that Jesus responds to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. Jesus here highlights that Peter has an earthly father, flesh and bones. And Jesus emphasizes that what occurred in Peter's response did not come from Peter's earthly father in case there was any confusion. Peter's understanding of who Jesus is is revealed by who his heavenly father. Because Jesus says that this answer is from my father who is in heaven, Peter may be confessing in this moment more than he himself understands. Peter understands Jesus from God's perspective, not human perspective. In 1979, 1979, Leslie Strobel, she told her husband that she became a Christian. Husband did not like this. Maybe you've heard the name Lee Strobel. Leslie told her husband Lee that she'd become a Christian. And Lee, her husband, was in self-described atheist and legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. He was so worked up that he decided he would set out to disprove Christianity, to sink his wife's newfound faith. If you were to ask Lee Strobel in 1979, who is Jesus, who do you say Jesus is, I want to read to you a quote from Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Who is Jesus? Lee Strobel, 1979. Jesus is a revolutionary, a sage, an iconoclastic Jew, but God? No. Jesus had only been a human being like you and me, although with unusual gifts of kindness and wisdom. Now, this is so insightful because the reason was not really the reason. Strobel writes that he had this reason to cling to the belief that Jesus was not God. Listen to this. He writes, I had a self-serving and immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I ever were to change my views and become a follower of Christ. Maybe that's your story. Maybe this is the story of someone you know. The real reason you or they don't want to come to terms with the reality of Jesus is that it would immediately confront a lifestyle that you know, you know, deep down inside is at odds with God. So Strobel set out on this two-year investigation, interviewing witnesses, examining the evidence, picking apart scripture, scrutinizing. Do you know that the Bible stands up to an honest investigation? In 1981, two years later, if you were to ask Lee Strobel the same question, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Another quote from his book, after the two-year investigation, Jesus was who he claimed to be, the one and only Son of God. You may see a man when you look at Jesus from a distance, 
Come close and it will be revealed that Jesus is God. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you might say, you know, how about you do Jesus your way? I'll do Jesus my way. We don't get to decide who Jesus is. God defined who Jesus is. Jesus affirmed in this conversation with Peter, he is who Peter says he is. If we say Jesus is anything less than Messiah, the son of the living God, then we are at odds with who Jesus affirmed he is. The most important question Jesus asked as it relates to your life and your eternity, who do you say that I am? My prayer for you is that you will settle for nothing less than God's best. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of the living God. If you were to walk around your neighborhood, speaking with people as they're walking their dogs, watering their grass, of course, observing all the social distancing rules, and you were to ask the question, who is Jesus? Maybe they'd say, well, he reminds me of someone good from the past. Jesus was a man known for wisdom, pure living, insightful words, teaching good character, passionate about doing what's good. Our relationship with Jesus is not defined by what others say about who he is. Our relationship with Jesus is dependent upon our response to who Jesus affirmed he is, the son of the living God. To live, to work, to love without knowing Christ is to miss out. It's possible to gain the whole world, yet lose your soul. Who is Jesus? Who do you say I am? Is it your answer today that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God? I hope so. Let me ask you, if you would, around this room, close your eyes with me for just a moment and we believe that when we teach the word, that it does something in each one of us, that there's a, a response. And so I wanna to touch on some possible responses that you may have today. Is there anyone here, you'd say, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I, my faith is in Jesus Christ. I know that I know that I know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ, he is my Savior. But you would say that honestly, you have some questions. And maybe there's some questions that have caused some angst, some emotional turmoil, maybe even division, because you can't quite understand why this is that way. You have some questions that have, have not been answered. And your prayer today is that God would reveal the answer to you about those unanswered questions. If you're here today and you'd say, I'm a believer, but I have some unanswered questions that I'm still working through. May I just ask you to raise your hands so I can pray with you? Yeah, I see honest hands all over this room. I've had some questions 
You can put your hands down. I'm thankful that God answers our questions. Praise God. Let me ask you another question. Is there anyone in this room, you've had conversations with, with friends or family members, and they, they quickly dismiss, oh, Jesus was a myth, he was a prophet, he was a good teacher, but the Son of God, no. And you haven't been able to get past that conversation. And maybe you know, you know that there's a reason behind the reason. Because you know that for them to receive Jesus Christ or to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God would immediately confront a lifestyle that is at odds with God. If you're, if you're praying for a family member that is, carries some of these thoughts or beliefs about who Jesus is, can you raise your hand so I can pray with you? Praise God. I'm praying with you. I'm praying with you. Put your hands down. One more question. One more question. Do you know that there are many testimonies in this room of people who would say that at some point in their life, that that was us, that we would have given, when asked the question, who is Jesus, that we would have said something less than the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. How many in this room would say, that's not past tense for me, it's today. Today, when I came into this place, that I would say that Jesus Christ is less than the Son of God. But after hearing this teaching today, after the Holy Spirit moving in this place, today is the day that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You realize that He is the Son of God. He is the answer you've been looking for. And today is the day that you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If that's you in this place today, could you lift up a hand and look at me so I could pray with you to receive Jesus Christ today? Who in this room would say, today is the day that I receive Jesus? Just lift up a hand so that I can pray with you today. Church, it's my prayer that we'd have lost people in this place every week, every Sunday. Let's be bold. Let's invite our lost friends. Let's invite our lost neighbors. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus today. We're thankful that you are a God of answers. We're thankful that you're not afraid of the hard questions. We're thankful, Father, that uh, you bring resolution. And again, many of us would say that there were questions that were really hard questions, but you have showed us the answer. So, Father, for the one today who's wrestling with some hard questions surrounding their faith, Father, guide them to the answer. May they have a confidence in knowing what your word says. Father, for the one, for the many who have raised their hands in this place today, saying that they're praying for a friend, a family member who's dismissed Jesus Christ as less than the Son of God. Father, your word talks about a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that draws those who are lost. Father, we ask that you'd soften hardened hearts, that we would get past cover reasons to get to the real reason. Father, thank you for the redemption that you've done in the spiritually lost. And Father, we thank you that your redeeming work is not done. Give us a boldness, give us a confidence as we share the hope of Christ with those who are not yet your followers. We've seen all summer that Jesus used the power of the question to compel change in our own spiritual conversations. Father, help us to use the right question at the right moment to 
cause reflection, to reveal motives, and to expose the condition of a heart. Not so that we can win an argument, but so that people can come to know faith in the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. Church, as we get ready to go from this place today, if you would answer like Peter would answer, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? If your answer would be, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. Church, if that's your answer today, I invite you to stand with me. Let's worship the name of Jesus Christ in this place.